You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about translated books and interviewing writer and translator Didi Hanach. But first... What are you reading, Bria? I just finished... Nettie Okorafor's Who Fears Death. Oh, the one that's getting turned into a TV show. Yeah, it's getting turned into a TV show by George R.R. Martin. And when I was reading it, I was thinking, you know, Game of Thrones is really dark. I don't know if you could ever go darker than Game of Thrones, but guess what, Nettie Okorafor? Nettie Okorafor is like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Nettie Okorafor, who I, I love, this is a dark book. There are so many trigger warnings in this book, I actually don't even know if I can get to all of them. But if you yeah, are, I remember you telling me about this book. And you're just yeah, like, we're talking about citywide rapes, clitorectomies. It is a very intense book, but it is it is great. It's a post-apocalyptic set in Africa. There's magic. There's a strong female lead for those who like that. Plucky, strong female, female, young female hey. lead. Um, and there's uh, all these different class and sort of race relations with uh, within the world they're living in. But it's like post computers because they find like a bunch of old computers. So it's like a really interesting time period. Cool. And if you love magic and stuff, it is just so good. I, I loved her other book, Akata Witch, which is also sort of a magic thing. Like it's basically Harry Potter with a girl set in Africa, sort of, if you want Sounds to imagine amazing. that world. This is like the extreme dark version of that. Uh, but I would totally suggest it for anyone who wants to read the extreme dark version of that. Hell yeah. What are you reading, Mallory? I just started uh, Drawing in Blood by Molly Crabapple, oh. which is a memoir. Molly Crabapple is an incredible artist and journalist, and it's basically her memoirs of like growing up to become an artist and traveling Europe, and she was an early suicide girl and a model, so she got involved working in like the sex worker industry and then she decided to become a journalist and she traveled all over Syria when the bombings a lot of bombings were happening there and because people weren't allowed to take pictures she would she would draw all the things the devastation that was going on wow she's just like an incredible woman her art is incredible and it's based you know it's filled the the memoir i have a hard copy of it and it's just like filled with her art. It's such a beautiful book. I just started it, but she's an incredibly fascinating person. She's worth following on Twitter. Uh, she's just doing a lot of good in the world. And I love her book so far. That sounds amazing. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Jude wrote in about our Reading Around the World episode to say that his city of Edinburgh is the perfect holiday book destination. We have the largest book festival in the world, or at least it claims to be. It happens every August. Uh, we're also the only city in the UK which has a train station named after a book. Cute. And the Scott Monument is the largest monument to a writer in the world. We also have lots of cool Harry Potter things. Thumbs up. There's a great free walking tour you can go on. You can see Tom Riddle's grave in the cafe where J.K. Rowling wrote the first book. The Writer's Museum also has a first edition of The Philosopher's Stone, which uh, Rowling has written and drawn lots of notes on. Wait, wait, wait. Tom Riddle's not a real person. Well, in the mo- from the movie. They have, like, a fake grave. Well, but it was, pro- it was based on, like, a real grave that she saw. Oh, it's based on a real grave? Yeah. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. So cool. I was like, wait. Wait. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up there. Which reality are we living in? Uh, I have actually been to Edinburgh, but I was there on work business, and I couldn't really do a lot of book stuff. So I would On work lo- business. Yeah. Uh, so I would love to go back and just, like, do book stuff. I love how proud people are of their book cities. I know. That's you really guys adorable. rock. Also related to that same episode, Ash wrote in to say, In two weeks, I will be in Havana, Cuba, following the steps of Ernest Hemingway with probably just as much rum. I've been saving Old Man and the Sea and a movable fee 
piece to read while I'm there. I'm brimming with excitement to go, and I'll post pictures to the appropriate hashtag when I'm there. Very cool. You should check out our hashtag still. It's hashtag reading around the world. You can see Ash's photos from Havana, which sounds super rad. It sounds like a very fun traveling vacation, book vacation. Hell yeah. I'm also a big fan of rum, so that is Great. I'm a cocktail nerd. But you know what's funny? I've never read any Hemingway. Whoa, talk about reader confessions. Boom. Alyssa also wrote in about episode three, Readers in a Non-Reader World, that she's going to school to become an elementary school teacher. And she says, what I found is best for me as an educator is to do read aloud and think aloud. A think aloud is like reading aloud where you model higher level thinking behaviors. I've read the illustrated first Harry Potter book to my last three classes, sorted them into houses and seen enormous results in their interest in reading. I co-founded a nonprofit here in Denton, Texas, Language of Laughter, like us on Facebook, <laughs> we'll link to it. We'll link to it. Where we put on stand-up comedy shows and use the funds to buy books for bilingual students in our area. We also put on junior author workshops where we write collaborative stories. Because of this, I've done a lot of research on English language learners and their learning and feel like it's important to share their stats. There are 4 million English language learner students, not just Spanish speakers in the U.S., making up about 11% of the student population. Wow. And these are, numbers are rising. 71% of English language learners perform below average in reading with only four percent performing at level or above and the literacy rate of children nationwide 38 percent below level i really encourage people to look into programs like communities and schools and other after school programs because they do a lot of supplemental teaching and tutoring especially with reading reading with and to kids is so important to their development Eliza, you rock that is really that is really interesting and i've never heard about think alouds i think aloud is a whole new idea i like that we're going to link to all that stuff in the show notes. Alyssa, this is amazing. Again, this is what, another one of the reasons why we're doing this whole episode on translated books. Because people need to realize that the literary world doesn't end and begin with English. You know what? I just realized you chose that uh, email for a reason. Yep. That was good. That was some good, that was some good uh, organizing, Mallory. Hey. You can always send us feedback at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Danielle, who runs our Facebook group. It's getting really big. And Chrissy and Rachel, who moderate our Goodreads page. So before we talk about translated books, we're going to take a quick break. Libby, the new app from Overdrive, is the best way to get thousands of free ebooks and audiobooks from your local library 24-7 from anywhere in the world. Yeah, but we've talked about this on the past in the podcast, and we really, really like we both it. Li- I use Libby literally every day. It is amazing. It. it works with your public library. All you need is uh, your library card, and then you can go in there, and you can reserve books. It tells you how long you're going to be waiting for a book. If you're on hold, it tells you how long you have the book for, and it returns them automatically. It's really great, and it's super user-friendly. It's wicked easy to use. And September is library card sign-up month, so there's never been a better time for you to rediscover how freaking great your public library is through wonderful apps like Libby. You can download Libby today or learn more about the app at meet.libbyapp.com. Yeah, we really suggest it. We would be talking about it even if they weren't advertising with us. Download Libby today or learn more about the app at meet.libbyapp.com. The Dead Pilot Society podcast brings you hilarious comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Aubrey Plaza, Andy Richter, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, Adam Scott, Molly Shannon, Busy Phillips, Tom Lennon, Anna Camp, Laurie Metcalf, Felicia Day, Michael Ian Black, Adam Savage, Paul Shear, Ben Schwartz, Skylar Aston, Mae Whitman, Josh Molina, Ben Feldman, Nicole Byer, Jason Ritter, Sarah Chalk, Steve Agee, Jane Levy, Allison Tolman, Danielle Nicolette, Casey Wilson, Anna Ortiz, Lorraine Newman, June Diane Raphael, Kieran Chipka, Ed Week, Zach Knight, and Carrie Kenny Silver, John Ross Bowie, Jamie Denbo, Janet Varney, Alexander Torsani, Summer, Ellen Morales, and many more. Listen at Mac. MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts.
we're talking about translated fiction. Short stories, novellas, novels from all over the world. Why should you seek them out? And where do you even find them? As we mentioned in a previous episode, thank you to one of our listeners, less than 3% of books that come out in English are translations. That's so low. Think about all of the writers in every country all over the world, all the places in all the languages, and we're getting a little itty bitty percentage of that. Reading is a great way to cultivate empathy for other cultures and other people, so why not get it straight from the source? What better way to learn about a place or a people than by reading a book about it from someone who actually lives there when it was translated from the actual language that's there? Hey, Mallory, you want to know the most translated book? Uh, the, bo- the book that's been translated the most. Can I, you know what I'm going to guess. I guess it literally... The, the Bible? Are you going to guess the Bible? <laughs> yes. It's not the Bible. It's, well, you know what? It is weird that it's not the Bible, and I don't know why it's not the Bible. This is from Guinness Book of World Records. All right. Uh, the, hold on, hold on. I, I, I'm going to do an actual guess. Okay. The most translated book? Uh, Harry Potter. No. The Way to Happiness by L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Fuck L. Ron Hubbard. Get off. But then it makes you wonder how it's sh- not the Bible, actually. This sounds like a scheme. It can be read in 70 languages as of 2010, including Hindi, Samoa, and, and Uzbek. Nobody wants your crap, L. Ron Hubbard. I, you know what's weird is that I feel like it must be the Bible, but that's whatever. Uh, th- that's I feel like, so I, because especially because we live in L.A., where if I, every time I say this, I'm going to get murdered by a Scientologist. They're actually, there's like one hiding underneath that. <laughs> oh, those microphones. <laughs> it's just going to crawl out from underneath. <laughs> All right, I have, I have another fact that's going to make you less... Less mad. What do you think is the most translated document? Not book, document. Uh, I don't know, like a hand-washing document? Hand-washing? <laughs> like on planes. <laughs> I'm like, wait, why do you need a document? Like a like a pamphlet on hand-washing? Yeah. Or you mean like that sign that says, be sure to <laughs> lavar, lavar los manos. <laughs> <laughs> that was my horrible Spanish. It is a six-page document entitled Universal De- Declaration of Human Rights, produced oh, by the been... United Nations in 1948. Oh, okay, that's cool. It's been translated into that's 370 what... languages. That's awesome. And dialects. Um, that's even more important than clean hands. From Abkhaz, which I think I'm Abkhaz, to Zulu as of 2009. The declaration rose from the experience of World War II, and it was drafted in 1948. Cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, so translated books, where, like, you should read them, but the question is, where do you go find a translated book? Okay, well, first off, you can just ask. Like, first, like, where, you and I are, just ask, just ask anybody, any old person walking down the street? Walk up on the street. Just, like, the guy working at your coffee shop. Like, like, where uh, can I pick the translated books? I'll have a large latte and a translated book, please. Uh, (laughs) Well, you and I are lucky enough that our local bookstore, Skylight Books, has a permanent display of the latest translated books. So you should definitely check to see if your local bookstore also has one. You know, they might just always have a translated book section. If they don't, try your local library. Librarians are magical. Ask them for suggestions on translated books. They, they might just go for this shit, man. They went to four years of yep. university. I don't know how many years you go for to be a librarian, but it's like four it's plus two or something of, like that. It must be like, because you go to extra years. Yeah. It's a master's degree. Yeah. So they went to school for this shit. They can tell you which books are translated. Oh, yeah. And if you were specifically wanting to look for something in a language of a place you're traveling to or a, a place that you're interested in, go find your librarian. 
Also, as we've said on previous episodes, book awards are a really great place to look for book lists. Penn International, which stands for Poets, Essayists, and Novelists, which I did not know until recently. Adorable. It's They're an association of writers, and they have a yearly award called the Penn Translation Prize, and their list of winners would be a great place to start. There's also an award called literally the Best Translated Book Award, and it's given by 3%, which is the translated press of the University of Rochester, New York. It is sponsored by Amazon now, so there's a cash prize. Hey. So the winners for that this year were Chronicle of the Murdered House. Hell yes. Which sounds really good. Sounds up our alley. The author is Lucio Cardoso, but it was translated by Margaret Julie Costa and Robin Patterson. We were told also on this email that you should name your translator because yeah. there's a whole art to that, which yes, is very absolutely. interesting. And then the poetry award for the translated book was for Extracting the Stone of Madness by... The author is Alejandro Pizarnik, and the translator is Yvette Seagert. I'm sure I'm butchering all of those. I apologize. We're trying, guys. <laughs> so a good way to, to keep finding translated works is to see who publishes those winning books. Keep an, keep an eye out for which editors, which publishers are putting these books out. That publisher will likely regularly publish translated fiction. Some excellent ones include FSG, which is a favorite of mine, Grey Wolf, Soft Skull, Melville House. Melville House is also a great follow on Twitter. Why? They got a lot of jokes? Yeah, a lot of jokes. A lot of translated jokes? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Hi, we can check. If a joke is translated, it probably doesn't... Well... It might work. I feel like comedy doesn't always translate super well. No. But if you have a good translator... Yeah, there you go. It is an art form. And in a past episode, I pointed out that maybe you might might not even know some books that you're reading are translated. Some big books you may not have known were translated. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. What about that one? Boom. By Stieg Larsson, translated by Reg Keeland. The Little Prince... All Quiet on the Western Front. I didn't know that was a translated book. Yeah, it's originally by Eric Marie Remarque, translated by A.W. Wien, because it was German. Yeah. See, there's so, th- this is why it's so important to name the translator, guys, because translating is such an art, and a lot of times the translator's name is left off of the front of the book, so you, how would you even know? Mm-hmm. And it's important, when you're thinking about a community and a reading community and a book community, it's important to go and look at other cultures that are not your own. That's part of being in this whole reader community. Yeah, exactly. The cultivating a global community is so important, and so are translated books, and the more demand there is for them, the more publishers will take notice and publish more of them. We've actually had a book professional friend of the show, Shannon Dubois, put together a great list of translated genre fiction because, again, as we said earlier, some people were like, oh, translated books are going to be boring. It's going to be literary fiction. That's not true, guys. There's a lot. Some of the best genre fiction out there right now is coming from other countries. So we want to hear your thoughts on translated books. We want to know what you're reading, what books you have read, what your surprise was translated. Send them to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we interview translator Didi Hanach, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is supported in part by HelloFresh, a meal kit delivery service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Yes, they sent me uh, the vegetarian box, which was delicious. And as you guys know, I am not very good at doing anything that isn't reading, but I was able to make the make the food, and it was very tasty. I got sweet potato steaks and a bunch of other stuff. And even moles can cook with HelloFresh. E- even moles can cook with <laughs> Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks to moles. Short on time, all for less than $10 a meal. 
All delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. And if you have cats, the cats get to sleep in the box. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code READINGGLASSES30. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases, I ask them questions, they're good ones, and then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flobie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. So now we're here with Didi Chanuk, publisher and translator. How are you today, Didi? I am great. So Didi, you're a publisher, you're an editor, you're a writer, you're a translator, you're very well versed in the world of books and translating. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of finding works to translate? Sure. Um, Being a publisher of translations is actually a huge advantage. I don't have to read manuscripts. I read books that have either been published or well along the way to being published. So I can rely on early buzz and other factors that uh, regular publishers who publish original fictions just don't have. Oh, that's pretty sweet. That is cool. So translating is more of an art than a science. Can you tell us about the process of translating a book? Sure. Uh, Translating is essentially writing the book in your language. Sometimes it's straightforward. You just put the thing in another language and it's simple. Sometimes it's a lot more complicated. Sometimes you have to make seriously big changes. Um, One example I can think of is the book Ready Player One, which I translated, uh, where, um, you know, the whole thing is about finding an Easter egg. That's not a thing in Hebrew. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I changed it. I got permission from the author, and I changed it to Afikoman, which is the Passover equivalent, uh, which is a change that made sense, but then I was stuck translating every egg into a matzah. That's so fascinating. <laughs> That's amazing. So, Dini, just, just, to, just to clarify, you translate from English to Hebrew, and you do Hebrew to English also? Uh, not professionally. Um, it's, it's a skill I'm trying to level up to a professional level. I've translated some stories uh, from Hebrew to English for friends who are writers uh, for free. And maybe I'll do that professionally in the future. But you need to be good at writing in the language you're translating to. And, and I'm, I'm a writer in Hebrew. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Dee, we had a listener uh, named Hannah Wright who wrote in to us about wanting to find more genre fiction specifically in translation. Do you have any tips for her to find genre fiction specifically that's in translation? I do. I have uh, two places that I can recommend that she looks. 
Uh, one is a website uh, um, written by Rachel Cordasso. It's sfintranslation.com. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, the other one um, is more general uh, genre-wise, but specific gender-wise, but does deal with genre. And that's uh, Meital Radzinski's uh, blog. That's bibliobio.blogspot.com. Or you can look for Women in Translation on Google. Nice. So what would you change about the publishing world to better better accommodate translated work? Part of this episode is all about how there's just not enough translated fiction. Um, to my mind, the problem isn't the publish, publishing work. It's it's the U.S. market and specific and generally Anglophone markets. Um, I don't know of any market, not even the famously snobbish French market, more hostile to translation than Anglophone markets. In places like Israel and many other places that translate from English, translations can be about 50% of the markets. Anglophone markets are much less hospitable, and um, I wish I knew how to change that. Uh, it would be great for some of my writer friends, but I don't. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. And do you think it is, do you think it is changing, you know, as time goes by, or you think it's just kind of the same amount of works are getting translated that were getting translated 20 years ago? I think it is changing because a, some people are making conscious, a conscious effort to do that and to, to highlight it and B because of the internet. So, you know, information is a lot more available and, and I think that helps and, and editors like are, are more accessible to writers and all of that does help. Didi, do you have some favorite works of translated fiction? Stuff that maybe you've worked on or just ones that you love? Um, my favorite of mine um, is uh, Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane. Oh, cool. Cool. Which um, I personally think is my best translation. Um, my favorite in general would probably be a pretty old translation. It's a translation of uh, Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, cool. Uh, because so much of it um, draws from Arabic, uh, and Hebrew is a lot closer to Arabic than English, um, the translation actually, to my mind, is a better and more natural reading than the original. And oh, interesting. That's so interesting. Uh, Dee, what are you reading right now? Uh, well, um, a new Sean McGuire Toby Day novel came out today, uh, The Brightest Fell, so that's what I'm reading because there's a new Toby Day novel out. Awesome. And do you find that you read a lot of translated work? Do you read mostly in English? What do you What do you generally read in? I read mostly in English, um, partially because part of the reason I'm reading is as a publisher and editor, I'm looking for stuff to, pu to, to publish. So I, that's most of my reading. What, uh, so a question we love to ask all of our guests is, what's a uh, book that you love to gift to people? Um, as a publisher, I really like giving my books to people, the books I'm publishing. Uh, <laughs> And, and right now, that mostly means Uprooted by Naomi Novik, um, which is the last book we published. We published uh, 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 quite a bit a while ago. Uh, and it's done really well, and people love it. So, yeah. And your publishing company publishes things in Hebrew. Yes. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. So do you have a new project that you're working on that you want to tell us about? Um, I can tell you about a couple of things. Uh, first, um, Sean McGuire's Every Hearted Doorway. It's, it's our next book. I'm very excited about that. And uh, another project, which is not related to translation, is the 2018 Hugo Nominees Wiki, uh, which I started. It's in its uh, third year, I believe. And people can add books they think are Hugo-worthy all year long. So before nomination time comes, there's a resource for reading recommendations and seeing what people like, and, and that helps people. And that's a website? Yeah. Uh, if, if you Google uh, 2018 Hugo Nominees Wiki, you will find it. Oh, that's so great. We will definitely link to that in the notes. I'm sure our listeners will be interested in that. Uh, where can we find you online? Um, one place to find me is on Twitter at, uh, at D-I-D-I-C, Didic. Um, another way, if um, anyone listening or anyone they know reads in Hebrew, they can visit uh, my publishing house's website, uh, Nova Press, C-O-I-L, or specifically Nova Press, C-O-I-L, slash shop, and uh, buy my books. There you go. We'll send them there. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Didi. Thank you so much for having me. So now we're going to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Charlotte writes, Hi, Mallory and Bria. I'm a voracious reader, but I could read even more if I weren't always falling asleep when I try to read. Any tips beyond drinking more coffee? Also, shout out to Mallory for giving me more horror authors to read that aren't King, Koontz, or Rice. Hey, Charlotte. <laughs> High five. The trifecta of horror. <laughs> Hell yes, horror writers. Charlotte, always email me if you ever want more horror recommendations. So my advice on this is to find reading time in other parts of your day. I actually like to read during the half hour or so I'm having breakfast in the morning and drinking my coffee. It's a good start to my day that isn't scrolling through all the despair news on Twitter. It's just like a nice, calm way to start your day and also get a half an hour of reading in. You know what? I actually read on Saturdays. I don't get on social media. And so I find I read more that day. And I try to start the day with a nonfiction book if I can. Especially if I'm like going through a nonfiction book. I try to read a nonfiction book instead of looking at Instagram for 20 minutes or whatever I normally do during during my mornings. That sounds great. Well, what is – oh, my God. Is this recommendation – is this really what you think? <laughs> Please. Oh uh, just so you guys know, we write these down ahead of time. Oh my God. Uh, and Mallory just saw that my recommendation is question mark <laughs> snacks. snacks. That's, snacks keep you awake. I know in the past I suggested apples and chocolate. But apparently I want, look, I just want our readers to be well fed. I want them to be happy. Bria's like the aunt of, of reading glasses. You <laughs> like come I, over and she's like, are you hungry? Why? I, I do do I do say that to people when they come over. I'm like, you want some iced tea? I know, you gave me pancakes when I came over. I'm still morning. eating a pancake right now while we're talking. <laughs> Always eat a pancake while you're doing a podcast. If there's any advice I can give future podcasters, if you eat a pancake, you're going to be so much happier. Okay, real answer. Not question mark snacks. Question mark snacks? Maybe that's the name of this episode. Um, Is uh, if you're not hungry, I need to ask you a question, Charlotte. What's going on with you that you're falling asleep all the time? What What is happening? Because... I, I maybe do you need to get more sleep at night? I know this is not a podcast about health and well being, but like, if you're falling asleep at all hours of the day, what what's going on? Maybe you should. I know this is not what this is about, but maybe you need to choose sleep over reading. Is this judgmental? Am I being judgmental? No, I think this is good. I think it also the more reading you get. Or, um, wow, <laughs> Freudian slip. Uh, the more sl- I, I I'm the worst person to, to talk about this because I have really bad insomnia. But maybe the more sleep you get, the more the higher your reading comprehension is. I mean, I think it's true. 
Hey, also, could we make this question? What are you reading? Something boring, Charlotte? Charlotte. Charlotte. Are you reading something boring? We're really getting into the roots of your life here. Like, I really want to find out what's going on with, with Charlotte. 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 Charlotte, come on over. I'm going to give you a pancake, hey, and we're going to talk about your sleep we, habits. She's, she's Bria's going to heal you. <laughs> like, I mean, Aunt Bria's going to take care of you, Charlotte. <laughs> come on in. I'm going to feed you a pancake. <laughs> you're going to take a nap. On, I'm going to take, take a nap, and I'm going to give you something exciting to read. You can take take a nap with Bria's gigantic cat. I have no good advice on this, obviously. I just am, like, a little concerned for Charlotte that she's falling asleep. Now, to be fair... I fall asleep reading every night. Yeah. But that's also my calming. It kind of like slows my mind down and I read and I fall asleep reading. Yeah. Also, Charlotte, remember, reading's not a race. It's okay. Reading's it's okay to fall asleep when you're reading. Okay. That's it's good. Fine. That's better advice than what I gave, which is like, I don't know, eat an apple? Eat, <laughs> eat an apple. Fall, don't fall. Don't bring the apple in your bed, though, because you'll fall asleep with it. It's like having a cigarette in your bed, like an apple. Except an apple's not going to set your bed on fire. Ants. You're going to get ants. The ants won't set your bed on fire either. Unless they're fire ants and you're in Texas. <laughs> fire Ooh. ants that actually set set things on That's fire. It's like a Harry Potter thing. That is that, yeah, totally. So we're gonna leave you with this episode's book connection, a way to connect with other readers online with the use of this week's hashtag. This week it's hashtag translated book love. Tweet or Instagram your favorite translated book or short story. We'll be retweeting the ones on Twitter so we can get a great list of recommendations going. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us. It helps people to find us, and it helps uh, Maximum Fun to like us more. Yay. <laughs> uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast, and you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglasses. Thanks for listening. And, and thanks, thanks for, for eating reading. snacks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> reading. Just reading. It's for reading. <laughs>